So with Pastor Ross enjoying some time away with the family uh, in the sunshine, hopefully doing some fishing, having a good time, I get to share with you today and next Sunday as well. So uh, I'm not going to talk much longer because I've been called long-winded. So uh, let's pray and get into the message. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity we all have to gather here together uh, in person and those online with us uh, watching on YouTube, hopefully, to uh, hear what you got for us today. And God, we just thank you for your heart for us, your love for us, that uh, you know exactly what's going on in each of our lives, what, what stresses, what issues are going on, God. So I just pray that today through this message that it's your words, not mine, and that it hits us all right where we need it, God. That we walk out of here changed, uh, closer to you, and with some fresh revelation of whatever it is you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So get to do two Sundays. So what we're going to be talking about for these next two Sundays is two sides of the same story. So you might be like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, our life is a story. My life is a story. Your life is a story. And there's two sides to that story. Some things from your story are going to be things that paint you in a positive light. Some not so much. Some things from your story are going to paint you in a negative light. Some things you're going to be proud of. Some things, there's some things in your story you don't want anybody to know. Like, I ain't telling anybody that. But no matter which side these things fall on, they're still part of your story. So what we're going to do is we walk through this, the two sides of the same stories. We're going to look at the life of someone in the Bible who's mentioned quite a bit. So looking at the slide, any guess on who it is? There's a couple little hints there. King David, you got it. Y'all are sharp. You're quicker than first service, I'm going to say. So if you're watching from home because you were here for first service, why are you watching it again? You must have really liked it. But uh, they were still quicker than you. We love you. So, uh, but yeah, so we're going to. We're going to talk about David these, this week and next week. And you can find most of the story of David's life in the Old Testament in the books of First and Second Samuel. So David, he also wrote a lot of the songs that we read in the book of Psalms. And, man, you look at the Psalms and what David wrote, and that is like an x-ray into his soul. You just get to see into his soul and his relationship with God. It's eye-opening there. So a little background information on David. He, was, uh, he lived around 1,000 B.C. So was anybody around back then? So, okay, this, that's how I check to see if you're just listening or just raising your hand, because I do. So, but uh, David was around back then. He was born in Bethlehem. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. He grew up during the reign of Israel's first king, who was King Saul. And then when David was 30 years old, he became Israel's second king. So when David first shows up in the Bible, though, we see him for the first time. He doesn't jump off the pages as someone impressive or significant at all. He says he was the youngest of eight sons, and our first view of him is he's actually out in the, in the field taking care of sheep. So that time we first hear of him is the day that the prophet Samuel, by God's direction, shows up in David's hometown of Bethlehem. Because God had sent Samuel to pretty much secretly anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel shows up there, and he asks David's dad, Jesse, he says, hey, bring all your sons to me. And I, God has anointed one of them to be the next king of Israel. He's, one of them is the chosen one. So Samuel sees, instantly he sees one of David's older brothers. And this dude must have been impressive because right away it says that Samuel looked at him and instantly thought, surely he must be the one. So God quickly, though, was like, uh-uh, nope, you're wrong, Samuel. And this verse right here that goes into that, it's also our first real glimpse into David, into what David was about, what, what set him apart. So it's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 is where we're going to start today. 
So this is when Samuel thought that the older brother was the chosen one. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this other brother of David's was clearly not the one. So then Samuel goes down the line, all seven of David's brothers, and he's like, what? what the heck? None of these are the one. What's going on? So he turns to Jesse and he's like, do you have any other sons? And in verse 11, it says, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. So it's crazy that right from the start, David wasn't even invited. He wasn't even invited or considered. It's like he didn't even count, apparently. So real quick, I want to, coming off of that, a little sidebar a second, is maybe this morning, maybe you're young like David was here. Or maybe you have a job that you feel is not significant, not important. Or maybe you feel like people just constantly overlook you. If you fit into any of those things, I want to assure you of one thing here this morning as we get into this. That's it, that, this is the truth here you need to hear right now, is that you are significant and important to God. We all need to hear that. We all need to hear that you are not a mistake, you are not an accident. God has a purpose for you. You might be like, well, I don't believe you. Well, too bad, because it's true anyway. Okay? And I'd strongly encourage you, if you're in a spot like that, today and next week as we look into this, just try to comprehend how much your Heavenly Father loves you. Try to open your eyes, open your heart to that, because he does. It's an incredible kind of love. So when Samuel hears that there's this one more son, he tells Jesse, we'll call for him, get him here. So David comes, he shows up, and he's the one. So this young shepherd boy is the chosen one by God to be Israel's next king. That's a pretty big job, wouldn't you say? And David was young, man. Like, you're going to be the next king. Just think of what was going through his mind there. But uh, it doesn't instantly happen for him. It doesn't happen right away. It takes years for it to come to pass. Like I said earlier, he was 30 when it happened. And then when the current king, Saul, he hears word that there's this person appointed to replace him and take his place. He's not too excited about that for some reason. I don't know why, you know. But then the Bible talks about how Saul became very jealous of David. He tried to hunt him down and kill him, like, many times. Like, this is a whole long, drawn-out ordeal that David has to go through. Saul after him, it's, it's crazy. Real fun times for David, wouldn't you think? Man. But through it all, David kept trusting God. He kept trusting God, and we see time and time again how God was with David. And that made me think, man, how nice would it be in our lives if we had someone following us our entire life and chronicling every single time God showed up and did something for us and saying, hey, look what God did. Wouldn't that be so nice? Because sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes God's like, hello, like I'm doing this for you. And we just, we don't see it. We don't realize it. So just for a minute here, I want you to think of David. Um, think of David, think to yourself, what is he best remembered for or known for? Just think about that. Just think about that. Or, or you can think of it this way. If you're playing charades and David's the name and you got to get somebody to guess it, what are you acting out to try to get them to say it, you know? Because I feel like some people, some people instantly think of David as the youth who slayed Goliath. Maybe that's some of you. While others will think of the king who, unfortunately, slept with another man's wife. So a lot of people will look at him and say, yeah, David, the giant slayer. Yeah, that's my man right there. And then other people will look at him and his sin 
and think, ugh, gross. You, David. Well, it seems like there's a separation that happens there, but it is the same guy. It's the same guy. There are two sides of the same story. The story of David's life and all of our lives are a story too. And just like David, there are two sides to that story, two sides of the same story. So if life is a story, that's what we're going with here, then it makes sense that that story has a theme, right? The story's got a theme. So I think there's something in our life, in our story, that's an underlying theme, a main idea to our story, to our life, and it takes us back to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Yeah, we already read it. We're reading it again. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God looks at the heart. Now, maybe that statement right there makes you anxious, makes you nervous, makes you sweat a little bit. Maybe it's a relief to you to hear that God looks at the heart. But it's true that we're not saved by our works. God wants our heart. He looks at our heart. And ultimately, if we really think about it, like this is good news for us. We should be excited about this. We should be thankful for this, that God doesn't see us and judge us like the world does. He doesn't look at our appearance, our accolades, our accomplishments. That's not how God judges us. That's not how he sees us. Because, let's be real, guys, we don't always put our best foot forward, right? We don't. We don't always do the right thing, say the right thing. We don't always uh, achieve our goals or meet the standards that are set for us. So to bring this back to David and how we're learning through his life, there's a statement that a lot of you will know, and you're going to prove you know it, because as I say it, you're going to finish it for me because you know this statement if you know it. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own. There you go. Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. See, David, he longed to serve God, to praise God, to put his trust in God. And I think, man, what a title to have person after God's own heart. Like, man, how many of us would want that said about us? Man. So let's look at this verse. Look at this verse here, Acts 13, 22. Just because we do what God wants us to doesn't mean that at times we'll do things we shouldn't. Does that make sense? They're not mutually exclusive. This verse, it said that David would do everything God wanted him to do, meaning he accomplished what God had set out for him to accomplish but that doesn't mean that everything David did was in God's plan. You with me? So what I'm pretty much saying here is that David was sold out to God, but he still messed up. And some of you were like, sounds like me. Well, the great thing, is, hopefully, is this is, this is going to encourage you today if you feel like that. Because when God, he calls David a man after his own heart, it doesn't mean that David was perfect and blameless. And you might be like, well, duh. Obviously, he wasn't perfect and blameless. But the thing is that some of us, we're able to see that when we look at another person's life and how they live. But at the same time, we'll look at ourselves and we hold ourselves to this unrealistic standard of perfection. It's a real thing. Perf being perfect, being blameless, that's Jesus' job. None of ours. So this is worth looking at here. 2 Samuel 11, that's where things get 
not so great for David, where we find him at his lowest of lows. And I'm going to run through this story here, uh, paraphrase this story. So we already referenced this earlier, but David, he was lusting after the wife of one of his generals. He ends up sleeping with her. Her name was Bathsheba. Well, Bathsheba ends up getting pregnant because that's kind of how that works. So David, he wants to cover things up, and being the king, he, he thinks I got the power to do this and make this happen. So he calls Bathsheba's husband Uriah home from the battlefield from war, and he assumes he's going to come back home, sleep with his wife. Everything's going to be good. It's all going to be taken care of. He's like, boom, no more secret pregnancy while your husband was away at war. We're all good. So the problem was Uriah wouldn't go home. He came back to the city, but they even tried to get him drunk to have him go home and be with his wife, but he wouldn't because Uriah is like, there's no way I can go home when all my comrades, all my friends are still in battle and out there doing that. I can't, I can't do that. So David's like, okay, I'm going to send Uriah back to war. So he sends Uriah back to war, but he sends him with something a little, a little extra special along with him. He says, hey, deliver this letter to your commander. And in this letter he gives David to deliver to his commander, it says, hey, take Uriah, put him right at the front of the battle where it's fiercest, and then draw back so he can be killed. So that happens, and guess what? It works. Uriah is killed. After Uriah dies, David gives Bathsheba some time to mourn, and then after that he has her come back to the palace and become his wife. So this is the thing. I look at this story, and I'm like, anybody who says the Bible's boring, it's eh, whatever, it's vanilla, like, have them read 2 Samuel 11. I'm like, come on. But the very last verse of this chapter, it tells it all. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27 says, But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So David, being a man after God's own heart, he knew he had sinned. He knew what he had done. How do we know that? Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. This is David speaking after this had went down. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in, the sight, in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. So David clearly knew what he had done was wrong. But he did it anyway. So this takes us to another well-known person in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. We want to get a little New Testament love in here today for you as well. So David suffered from a condition. I don't know if you knew this. And actually the Apostle Paul suffered from the same condition as well. I don't know if we have any doctors or people that know medical conditions and things like that today. But this is a weird sounding one. I don't know how many people will be familiar with it. But it's called Idwidwida. So I got some good news and some bad news about this. Good news, Idwidwida, it isn't always fatal. But bad news, it's not just Paul and David's problem. It's all of our problems too. Idwidwida, what it stands for is I do what I don't want to do. So we all suffer from this. Don't pretend like you don't. And Paul, he addresses this in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody ever been there before? Me too. Paul continues, Romans 7, verses 18 through 20. And I know that nothing 
good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So sin, that's something we all deal with. That's not like boom, like revelation. We've heard that many times before. If you're a human being, you have a sin problem. You were born with a sin problem. And it's a problem because when we're talking about sin, sin brings consequences. That's because sin is not safe. You might be like, wow, is that something you're teaching to the four-year-olds today over in next gen? Seems pretty basic, right? Because you look at this and you think sin is not safe. Of course, yeah. But it's one thing to believe that's true, and it's another thing to live your life like that's true. Because usually things that aren't safe are things we avoid. We teach our kids that from a young age. Don't touch the hot stove. Don't run into traffic. You know, things like that. Some would call it common sense. But there's nothing cool, trendy, or admirable about pursuing sin. There are consequences when sin is involved. And we see that clearly in David's life. Like, literally, his consequences are spelled out. So right after his sin with Bathsheba and that went down, God sends Nathan the prophet to tell David what's now going to happen because of the sin he had committed. And guess what? All the things David tells him, or Nathan tells him is going to happen, it all happens. First, Nathan said the sword would never depart from David's house. This was fulfilled with at least three of David's sons that we know of dying very violent, brutal deaths. Second, Nathan told David that his own wives would be humiliated before all Israel. That was fulfilled when Absalom, one of David's sons, we'll keep this PG-13, laid with his father's concubines before all of Israel. And then third was he said, Nathan said, things were not going to end well for the son that was conceived by David's sin with Bathsheba. And just seven days after that, seven days was all it took, that son got sick and died. And to David, that death of his son was worse punishment than his own death. So clearly this is not fun stuff to talk about, the consequences of sin. No one has these three consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba on their fridge or on a sign from Hobby Lobby. You know, this is not the, son, the stuff people like to focus on and talk about. But it's real. It's reality. Sin is real and it has real consequences. The amazing thing with David here is he knew that and he owned it. He owned it. We see in Psalms where David cries out to God. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't whine. He doesn't put it on someone else. He takes accountability for what he did. He owns it. And I think we need to follow that example. We need to follow David's example in taking accountability when we mess up rather than try to push it off. Because otherwise, there's plenty of other traps the devil's going to throw out there for you to fall into. One of those traps is, you know, a lot of people will hear it taught or said that, you know, we're all sinners. We're all going to sin. You're going to sin in your life. God's a God of grace. And you start believing lies like, well, I'm just going to live fast and die young. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. I'm just going to do whatever I want in my life. Not worry about if I'm sinning or not because God's going to take care of me anyway. Well, Paul addresses this specifically in Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, 
we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called to live a new life, not a life of sin. And man, wouldn't it be nice if it was just as easy as flipping a switch? Just waking up one day and being like, you know what? I'm not going to sin anymore. Yeah. It's not that easy. That would be really nice. What it's about is it's about our heart. Being someone after God's own heart like David was. Because when your heart is for God, then you don't see the existence of his grace as a license to live sinfully. Like, I don't know if it's possible to do that, to have a heart after God and be like, I'm just going to, you know, use his grace and sin all I want. That right there, that's, that's two sides of the same story. Where we're called not to sin. The Bible is clearly telling us not to sin, but we know we're going to. We're human beings, we know we're going to. So when we do, we need to own up, we need to fess up, we need to be accountable for our sin and know that there may be consequences because of it. And that's on us. It's not God's fault. You can't get mad at God when there's consequences for your sin, when we're literally doing what he told us not to do. Like, come on. But we do it. We do it sometimes. But at the same time, fortunately for us, and just blows my mind, it's amazing and incredible, that the consequences of our sin do not automatically, eternally separate us from God. Man, that's where the grace comes in. That's where the mercy comes in. Remember I said earlier that this condition, it would have, but isn't always fatal. Thank God. And Paul breaks this down in Romans 7, verses 21 through 25. Yeah, we're pretty, pretty much reading all of Romans 7 today, if you didn't catch on. Verse 21, I have discovered the principle, man, I made that barely fit on the screen there. I just noticed that. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Do you see that there? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. The two sides of our story are reconciled through Jesus. The consequences of our sins do not automatically eternally separate us from God because of Jesus Christ. And you might say, wait a minute, that last verse there, said, Paul said, he still says, I'm a slave to sin. Like, what's going on there? Well, the chapter ends there, but Paul doesn't, okay? The next two verses, right after that, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, says, now, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Come on, that's some good news there, right? Yeah. Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit free us. So I got to ask you this morning, have you tasted, experienced, felt that freedom? Because it's there for you. And maybe, you you know, maybe you look at this verse and you're like, it says those who belong to Jesus. Like, what does that mean? How do I do that? We give you the chance every week here at the end of our services to do that. You give your life to Jesus. 
You surrender your heart to God. You invite Jesus to come in to be Lord and Savior of your life. You receive that love, that freedom, and that forgiveness that Jesus bought on the cross for you. See, I believe this that we're talking about, this is what made David a man after God's own heart. Although he was a sinner, David, what he did is he always repented, turned, and returned to God. And I think those three things, that game plan right there from David is something we can copy and steal and use in our life as well. That when we repent, or that when we sin and mess up, we repent, we come to God, we ask for forgiveness, we take ownership and admit that what we've done or what we're doing is wrong, and then we do a 180. We turn away from that. The opposite direction. Get away from that. And then you complete that cycle by returning to God, coming to him, and allowing him to help you fight the fight with his power, not your own. See, no matter what David did, David humbled himself. He came back to God. He trusted God, ran back to him, and did his best to follow God's word. David's heart was clearly for God. You see that? His heart was clearly for God, and his desire was to please God. But it didn't stop him from sinning. It didn't stop David from sinning, but it did stop him from being defined by his sin. That's big. That's where the two sides of David's story come together and ours too. A heart for God, it doesn't stop you from sinning. It stops you from being defined by your sin. Whew, man, that changed. That's, that's the, the game changer right there. That's how we, like David and Paul, we can have Idwidwida and still be a person after God's own heart. Now we see David's true heart expressed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Then this is a lesson for all of us. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Maybe you've heard that before. I'd ask, have you ever prayed this? Have you ever had this conversation with God about yourself? Because this applies to all of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved and following Jesus, living for him. We all need to go back to this verse. Those are the words and thoughts right there of someone who is chasing after God. The vulnerability in those words show the heart towards God. So as for David, he received forgiveness. His relationship with God was restored. But he had to bear the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. We, read about, we, we talked about those earlier. So I look at that and I think, man, it is a blessing for us that we can look at David's life and we can learn from that. That we can learn from others. With the hope being that we don't have to fall as hard or as far ourselves. Because God has set it up where in the Bible, through people's mistakes and things they've done, and even other people in our lives, we can look and see what happened with them. We can see that sin doesn't fulfill what it promises. It offers you this happiness and contentment, but sin is a liar. It never, never works out for you. Instead, it brings pain, suffering, even death. So David, he willingly walked out of the will of God, and he suffered the consequences of his sin. And he learned firsthand that the road to true happiness and contentment is not through disobedience. But most importantly, and I love seeing that, is his story did not end there in the lowest of lows. It's not where it ended for David. He ran back to the author, to his heavenly father. So today we've, we've looked at David's life, the highs and the lows, 
the good and the bad. We talked about his relationship with God, his life and his story, and how we all have our own story too. We got the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the things we want people to know, the thing we, things we want nobody to know. And we see that the secret to David's success was not striving for success and perfection. It was having a heart for God. And guess what? That's the theme. That's the call on our life, on our story as well. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we are called above all else to love God. Now, if that's something you struggle with, maybe you're like, I don't know, how do I do that? Am I loving God enough? This verse right here that I'm going to read really helps put things into perspective. It's 1 John 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Embracing God's love for you, that equips you and empowers you to do that, to love God and to love other people. That's where it starts, to embrace that love that he has for you. So next week, we're going to dive into that a little deeper. And then we're also going to talk about what I want to say right here. Because there's one thing, one thing I wanted you above all else to walk away with today knowing and hearing. And it's this. That the one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. And that there's nothing you have done or could ever do that could change your heavenly father's love for you. Run to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have such a deep love and desire for us that you did all you could do to lead us into the life you created us for. But we have choices to make every single day, every single hour, every single minute of our life. But there's one, one decision that sets the table, that opens the door, that clears the path for us, that brings everything else together. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, God sent his son Jesus to die for you, to set you free, to redeem you, and to clean you from all the sins and mistakes your life will bring. Jesus said, I'm willing to do this for you, to die for you so you don't have to, so you can be with me and my Father in eternity do you accept this gift? Do you accept me? So every week we give you an opportunity to do this, to, to say yes to Jesus, to invite him into your heart, to start living for him, make him the Lord of your life. And you can do this anytime, place, anywhere. This isn't exclusive to church. But if you're here this morning and you know you need to do that, why wait? If you know you want to start living for Jesus, just a few moments here, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. And by slipping your hand up, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I am serious about this. I need you. I need to be saved. I want to have a relationship with you and Jesus. From this day on, I want to be a person after your own heart. So if that's you right now and you know you want to do that, just slip your hand up wherever you're at. Awesome. If you're watching online, same thing. You can slip your hand up there. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer here together as a church family. And I just picture as, you're, as you'd reached your hand up there, God was reaching down to you rejoicing, celebrating, saying, this is what I wanted for you, for your whole life. Here we go. Let's do this together. It's awesome. So if you raised your hand there, God saw you. He saw you. He sees your heart. Man, the best is yet to come. So if you raised your hand here, we're going to pray this prayer together. Actually, all of us are going to pray this prayer together. 
And if you're praying this and really owning this and believing this in your heart, your life is going to be changed and rearranged as you receive Jesus and his way of life. So why don't we go ahead and you can repeat this after me. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. On my own, I'm not good enough. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need Jesus. I believe that he died and came back alive for me. He paid the price for my sins. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in you to live the rest of my life with you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If this message touched you in any way and you'd like to talk to someone at the church, you can reach us online at rlcbr.org. Search for us on Facebook. And if you're in the Big Rapids area, visit us on Sunday morning at our location in Big Rapids or the church right across the street from Menards.